Hello everyone and welcome to 10 Minute Dharma. My name is Bavin and this is the first episode, or rather an introduction to what I hope to be a lifelong endeavor in comparative religion, but notably Hinduism. This is my first podcast. I'm learning a lot about the process of creating an episode like setting up audio, editing, how to distribute, etc. Honestly, a lot more work than I thought it would be, but it's been a fun and rewarding experience nonetheless. For my intro episode, it's more of a primer. It took me a year on and off to figure out what to say for this introduction. But after much perseverance, here we are. There's a fair bit to unpack and it's going to be way longer than my intended 10 minutes per episode, but a good introduction is always worth the extra time to establish some important background. Without further ado, let's get started. Like many of us, we are just trying to reconcile one of the most challenging periods of our generation, the pandemic. But we should always strive to find a silver lining for any situation, no matter how grave it is. One of the best things about the pandemic, for those who had the luxury to, was that it forced us to examine and audit our relationship with the world. Many of us changed jobs, relocated, found new hobbies, lost friends, maybe rediscovered old friends, and probably uncovered gaps in our own existence that warranted further investigation, such as religion and spirituality. My story begins several years before the pandemic. There were a few noteworthy situations in my life where it forced me to start asking deeper questions about myself, especially with my relationship to the universe. Doing so made me realize that my knowledge, simply put, sucked. I grew up in a Hindu household, but for the past 15 years, I was kind of agnostic. I often said, I don't know, and that's a perfectly reasonable answer. Unfortunately, I didn't address it, and the void in my heart continued to grow. I hate to sound morbid, but the void started to feel like a cancerous growth, consuming me from the inside. I had nothing against religion, except it always felt slightly tyrannical. And as I reflect on that, I think this is due to my upbringing. Religion can seem tyrannical, whether it's intentional or not. Many of you probably feel the same sentiment. I cautiously blame our parents and our elders, but it's not entirely their fault. They are set in their ways, which is usually our first introduction to religion. Therefore, religion feels rigid with rules, and let's face it, no child likes rules. Yet, as we grow older, we begin to realize our elders were just trying to help us and instill good values. We owe it to them and have a responsibility to review and audit how those beliefs fit in our lives today so we can carry it forward for the next generation. So here I am exploring all things religions and what I concluded for myself, I think God finally intervened. I was forced to learn one of the core lessons in Hinduism, non-attachment, the proverbial let go, or in Sanskrit, alipata, which translates to untarnished or stainless. You can also use the word apiragata, which also means non-possessiveness. At one point, my life felt like a I was holding onto uh, a tree branch in a raging river as the waves tumbled upon me, trying to stay afloat and breathe. I then recognized I had a choice. Either I wait for help or let go of the branch. What I truly craved was letting the universe do its thing. It was time to delegate. I finally understood that delegation is the ultimate power in the universe. So I let go. I got carried along with the powerful rapids and torrent that we call life. Tumbling through ups and downs of this metaphorical river, it dawned on me. Hinduism was letting me experience and manage my emotions. I was able to let go and move forward. I was able to practice patience and forgiveness towards others 
but more importantly, myself. My life changed in almost like a portal, a new reality manifested before me. I walked through and embraced it. I started seeing patterns. My brain was waking up for the first time in decades. I started seeing stunning parallelisms in Hinduism to what the West was promoting in the health and wellness space, which only further galvanized my conviction. Let me share a few examples. Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung gained a lot of insights from Hindu texts. The idea of the ego, id, superego, well-discussed concepts in Hinduism. Meditation, Hinduism. Yoga and breathing to avoid back pain to, by reducing muscle tension and downplaying the parasympathetic nervous system. Asana and pranayama yoga. Then we have diet. We use spices like turmeric, which has been shown to aid digestion. On top of that, most Indian dishes are heavily plant-based. Not to mention the mainstream adoption of fasting and time-restricted eating windows. Well, to be fair, every religion has fasting, but Hinduism has always promoted it throughout the week, especially when it's based off your, your unique needs derived from your astrological birth chart. Moving on. Mindfully expressing gratitude and, and to improve your mindset through mantras. This is uh, regarded as vibrational theory. Or, and this is well documented in Hinduism. This is something that Nikola Tesla was also heavily influenced by. Tesla actually met Swami Vivekananda when he toured the US. And Tesla's famous celibacy might have been inspired by the Hindu practice of Brahmacharya. Something Vive, Vivekananda promulgated. There's a famous quote by Tesla that makes you speculate how much he was influenced by the the Hindu understanding of the universe. If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Here's where it gets a little bit nutty. According to Hindu literature, the earth is said to be around 4 billion years old, a scientifically confirmed age. It is also said that the universe was created with the word um, which is correctly spelled in English A-H-U-M, um vibrated across space to create the universe. Sounds like the Big Bang, right? And of course, there's nothing stopping you from doing cannabis, which is commonly associated with one of our deities, Lord Shiva. Cannabis was quite commonplace for centuries before British occupation of the subcontinent. I can go on. I had a good chuckle when I started seeing yoga studios serving turmeric chai latte with a spoonful of clarified butter, also known as ghee. Elders in India have been drinking this type of hot beverage for generations. I don't consider this cultural appropriation, rather it's validation. In the future, I'll definitely devote an entire episode regarding cultural appropriation with Hinduism, but in summary, no one can claim Hinduism. Remember, non-attachment. And if someone feels materially attached to Hinduism, it's contrary to Hindu philosophy. Most Hindus are indifferent about westernized yoga studios or Starbucks chai lattes. We're just happy that you're benefiting from our culture. Although, Nothing makes me laugh more than a Karen advocating for social justice on Hindu culture appropriation because it's clear to me she has no idea what she's talking about. And on a side note, I guess it would be called Kiran if you wanted the Indian equivalent. Anyways, let's stay on topic before this turns into a comedy set. It was clear to me Hinduism seemed to have figured everything out, at least with the problems that I was facing. I had a question and thus an answer manifested every single time. The process made me reminiscent about the old days in my room playing with Lego. Hinduism started to feel like a giant bin of Lego, playing without instructions because it was on the person to build the perfect world for their interpretations, 
based on their relationship to their environment. The key word is there. Each body, mind, heart, and soul is different. So everyone should strive to find their balance. I looked at my Lego bin and I found a piece and added it to wherever I needed it. But what are we building exactly? An operating system. I work in tech, so I like the operating system analogy a lot. Religion is like an operating system for the mind, like Windows or Mac OS, but the hardware being our bodies. The Easter systems behave a little more like Linux or Android, open source systems with open code bases, free to customize whatever you want. You can build and modify your operating system for whatever problem you're trying to solve. We have the power to code or program our solutions. For the longest time, I felt like I was building my operating system from scratch, which, which felt impossible. So why build a new operating system when you can reuse components based off of thousands of years of practice? I think in some ways, these components seem to have derived a greater understanding of the universe, humanity, and consciousness than contemporary academic literature, at least on first glance. In the end, no matter how you slice it, any belief system, religious or not, is an operating system to help manage our emotions. Something I notice with a lot of people today is that I think many of us have a problem channeling our religious instinct. A religious instinct is not necessarily a mandated belief in God, but rather a deep need to connect outside ourselves. This can be as simple as connecting with nature. We need to feel a connection to an other. Like it or not, every person has this instinct that needs to be channeled. The problem we're seeing today is that we lack meaning in our lives with sheer abundance and boredom. And with religion on the decline, we are channeling our religious instinct incorrectly. Without a framework, the instinct will metastasize as addiction and self-destruction on the individual level and radical ideology at the societal level. So we need tools and frameworks to operate, simply put. With that said, I don't think any religion or belief system teaches anything different. In fact, I've concluded that there's more similarities and differences. They likely remixed off one another. Perhaps God is a EDM techno DJ. Remixing things together. Probably. Actually, that kind of weirdly makes sense. Maybe we'll unpack that for another time. Anecdotally, though, Hinduism just seems to have more tools to work with because it evolved as a way of life with one's relationship to the environment, a sort of meta-religion. I know it seems like I'm glorifying Hinduism, but I promise it has just as many flaws as any other religion. Religion is made up of people, and people are flawed. Even Hinduism can have followers turn dogmatic, violent, and commit heinous gut-wrenching crimes against humanity. We have our dark history as well. However, there are more similarities among religions which can help develop a deeper understanding of one's belief. Let me give an example. I regard Buddhism as the eventuality of Hinduism, the purported outcome of enlightenment in the highest form. In fact, the Buddha is regarded as a reincarnation of one of our deities, Vishnu. So there's great reverence for the Buddha among Hindus. Growing up, my parents had a Buddha statue in our prayer room, which is still there if I'm not mistaken. But unlike Hinduism, Buddhism is stripped of culture and other material complexities, a stark contrast to Hinduism. It makes sense to me to view Buddhism as a form of Hinduism that's been designed and sh to be shared. That's why the lessons are clear, concise, and extrapolated through dialogue without being encumbered by artifacts and idols. I use Buddhism as a Rosetta Stone, if you will, to then find and compare it to Hinduism. It made grasping Vedic philosophy easier for me. Well, it's definitely easier than learning Sanskrit, although I am trying. 
More importantly, learning Hinduism through Buddhism suits the way my brain works. I love finding patterns. In fact, I even wrote an essay about this on my blog, 52250, called The Buddhist Hindu. I'll put a link in the show notes. So here I am sharing what I'm learning on my journey and now starting a podcast with more trepidation than I admit. I'll be vulnerable about why this bodes some concern to me. I grew up with a stutter. The idea of hearing my voice and editing audio recordings gives me a lot of anxiety. I don't think I'm ashamed or anything, but I can't help but think about some of the difficulty hearing yourself struggle in the third person. When I was younger, I did group speech therapy with, a, with fellow youth stutterers. I used to record myself, and we as a group would analyze our speech to figure out the best techniques to help our speech flow with our unique idiosyncrasies. The exercise was excruciating, even among the emotional safety and security of fellow stutterers. If you ever saw the film The King's Speech, it's a bit like when you saw King George applying different techniques to keep the cadence of speech flowing. I'll share a clip of the movie in the show notes, as well as a few pages from King George's actual script to show you how his speeches were annotated in order to help him orate. While I overcame as much as I could, old wounds still hurt. That's why I decided to leave in some of my quirks or speech filler as much as I can so that it can feel like a natural conversation, which also aligns with the Buddhist method of dialogue. Although for the podcast, I'm actually writing out a script, but I still have to read it out loud. And I have a higher probability of stuttering more when I use scripts. Because to further complicate things, I also have dyslexia. So it's a bit of a double whammy. But challenge accepted, God. I want to lead by example because I understand that many of us struggle with our self-concepts. Constant bombardment with Photoshop models, superhero bods, social media posts, and finally edited podcasts. I certainly struggle. But it's one of those things that the more honest exposure of the self is really the best remedy. And slowly you begin to realize that there's nothing to fear. There's a story about Alexander the Great that I really like that some of you may have heard me use before. He was once criticized for standing idle, not fighting while his armies fought his battles. He then took off all his armor. The soldiers gazed upon his scars, littered across his body. He endured more than they could ever imagine. They were stunned and humbled, thus rescinded their criticism. Alexander clearly paid his dues. We all have wounds. It's just our choice to let people see them. And don't get me wrong, it terrifies me to record my own voice. But like a good skier, it's important to lean into your fears, quite contrary to what your mind wants. So on that note, I say Dharma instead of Dharma. Dharma is the proper pronunciation, but because my mother tongue is English, Dharma is easier. With my stutter, I try to take the least resistant path where I can. Now that I shared my background, let me outline the style and premise of 10-Minute Dharma. I spend at least a few hours a week dabbling in scripture and researching. One of the problems I struggle with is that I'm trying to catalog what I'm learning. At the same time, do I even understand what I'm learning? How can I check that? There's only one solution. Try teaching to others and see if they understand you. I first started writing about spirituality on my blog, 52250. There are a few blog posts where I discuss the parallels between Star Wars and the Eastern traditions, something George Lucas was heavily inspired by, especially through Japanese films. For those who know me, you know how deep my love for Star Wars goes and why this was such a natural gateway for me. Back to the blog, though. I impose a 250-word limit on all my pieces, and I spend a week refining it. Writing to me is more like uh, sculpting. I quarry a giant slab of text, and I slowly carve away what I want to read. 
keeping the theme of constraints, my aim is to try to do 10 minutes for each episode, give or take. Hence the name, 10 Minute Dharma. This addresses another problem. I think podcasts are way too long. I don't think longer is better and we need to be mindful of our time. 10 minutes per episode seems like the perfect amount that one can chew on and reflect upon over a week. Constraints are important. Constraints define us in every aspect of our lives. So adding self-imposed constraints is absolutely necessary for growth. Constraints breed greatness, but more importantly, identity. For each episode, I'll try and cite sources and resources that might be helpful. I'm not in any way a scholar, but I'll make an effort. Outside of the source material, most of my research comes from influential figures like Alan Watts, Sudguru, Swami Vivekanandan, and a few other interesting folks like Dr. Rupert Sheldrake. Alan Watts being my absolute favorite, he is the core reason why I'm on my journey. Watts represents exactly what Hinduism means to me, being an enlightened comedic degenerate. Basically Yoda in Star Wars Episode 5, or the wise fool archetype from Shakespeare in plays. It's also important to be honestly selfish. This podcast is really about me pulling quote-unquote Hindu Lego from my giant bin and telling you something about it as I build, repair, and maintain my own Lego set or operating system. 10-Minute Dharma is really important for me to grow as a person. I'm really doing this for myself, but realizing that others may benefit from my journey. I hope we can all find synergy on our respective journeys, and maybe something about what I'm learning can help you along your own path. I want to be clear. 10-Minute Dharma is to educate. This podcast is a no way to convert or promote Hinduism or any religion by that matter. In fact, I'm going to try and draw as many comparisons to other religions as I can just to demonstrate that there's unity. I sincerely wish the way I practice Hinduism makes you a better Jew, Christian, Muslim, Stoic, Buddhist, agnostic, atheist, whatever you identify with. And more importantly, I hope 10-Minute Dharma helps you become a better human. I believe in every faith and own copies of the other religious texts. I don't remember the exact quote, but back to the river analogy I used earlier, the Buddha once said that all beliefs are like little estuaries that feed into the internal river of life. As long as you're rooted in honesty and goodwill, life will lead you where you need to be. I think in a period of increased noise, confusion, divisiveness, and isolation, we can all really benefit from a forum like this. I know I can. So, welcome to 10-Minute Dharma, 10 minutes of comparative religion, spirituality, and philosophy to help people find the love in them to grow and move humanity forward. Thank you for listening. May you find and walk your dharma. Krishna, Krishna.